Remember in John chapter number 10 how we're in his hand and no man can pluck you out of his hand? He's got the grip on us. And that's what a wonderful truth. Powerful song. I love that song. Man, I remember you did that one or did it a couple times and then now that song's going to stick in my head for a while. And what a good truth. That's an awesome truth. Um, just so you know, the kids that are four and under are going to nursery. And I think David's going because Caroline's in there. So, But um, in a few weeks, we'll get back to having some kids' classes and things. Just taking a little bit of time with all that stuff. And it uh, won't be long, and we'll get back to all of it. And Marquis, before he leaves, he wants to do a kids' class. So we'll be letting him do that in a couple weeks here. And so that's a good thing. Take our Bibles tonight. I'll ask this before we get into the Bible. Does anyone need an outline for tonight? If you need a copy of the outline, Marquise, you weren't up here early to do it, so get busy. I'm using it to the last minute, okay? So if you need a copy of the outline, there's two pages you've got to give out to everyone. We've been going through the books of the Bible, and we're on the book of Joel tonight. And so take your Bibles to the book of Joel, and maybe by the time you get a handout, you might find the book of Joel and know where we're at tonight. And so what was last week's book? Anybody remember? Hosea, and then Joel. So Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Joel's a small book, and we're going to learn some stuff about Joel tonight. And um, when we're done with the service tonight, I know, you know, for the past several weeks how we've been out of service and all the different things. I have a copy of all the books of the Bible from Ecclesiastes on with the notes filled in for you and all the handouts for them. They're in a stack, so all you got to do is take the whole stack. This is Ecclesiastes through Daniel. Daniel is the one outside. And you might say, well, I only need a few of those. Just take the stack, take what you want, and throw the rest away, whatever. And so they're here, hole punched. You can get those after the service, because I know some of you are making a binder out of them and keeping all of them, and it's good. So that way, when you study the Bible for yourself, you'll have these passages of Scripture, and you'll be able to look at them. It'll be a good thing. The book of Joel... Before we get into it tonight, let's see. Can someone tell me anything about the book of Joel? I'm not trying to be bad or put anybody on the spot, but could we, anybody tell me something about the book of Joel? I'll tell you something. It's in the Bible. He's a minor prophet. There's three chapters. What do we know about Joel? What do you know about Joel? I want to see if you know more about Joel than I do. We know he's a prophet. We know it was a southern kingdom. Maybe there, we don't know for sure. There's not enough info to tell us, but that could be a possibility. We know very little about Joel, in all honesty. What do we know about him? Look at verse number one. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. What do we know about Joel? He's the son of Pethuel. That's what we know about Joel. Now you might say, what do we know about Pethiel? Are you ready? Absolutely nothing. That's how much we know about this man named Joel. And three chapters, a minor prophet, we're not even sure when it was written. People argue it back and forth. Some say that this was written towards the after exile. Some say that this was written back in the days around Elijah and Elisha. And maybe he knew them. But the honest truth is we don't know for sure. Say, well, how is it part of the Bible if we don't know? Well, you look at the content here, and it's clearly inspired by God. Clearly. It is a book of the Bible, and there's stuff for us to find out. We're going to learn some things tonight, but we're going to look at and see for, and also know that we don't know a whole lot about Joel. If I gave a title to the book of Joel, it's this, God uses the unknown. 
And just because he's unknown to us and we don't know a lot about him, we know he's the son of Pethiel, that's all we know. God used this book for the children of Israel. And God works with unknowns. Isn't that good to know? Especially today, the day that we live, there are no surprises with God. God works with the unknown, and it's just awesome that God works. And so normally what I do, especially with these minor prophets, I didn't do it with Daniel, but the minor prophets, we do the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, and we're going to do that, and then we'll dive in. If you notice in your notes, you only have two blanks at the very end. Everything else is there for you, so you can pay attention. I'm not going to give you the video till the very end. We'll watch the video together at the end because I want to save that till the end. We'll do that. Let's go ahead and let's have a word of prayer, and we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word. There's no greater thing a Christian can do than fall in love with the Word of God and study it and spend time in it. Pray that you'd help us grow, help us learn something tonight from the book of Joel, and I pray that it'd be profitable, and we give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Some of my favorite portions of Scripture come from the minor prophets. What happens, though, is a lot of times, a lot of people don't know much about the minor prophets. It's like we skip them for some reason. But do you Something you got to understand, you have people that go back and forth. You have some people who say, man, we only need to study the New Testament. Then you have some that we, show, we need to study the Old Testament. We need to study the whole book. There are 66 books in one. God gave them to us for a reason. And it's not just by chance the book of Joel is part of the Bible. God had it ordained that way. That's how God did it. God's word has been settled forever in heaven, and the book of Joel is part of it. And even when you listen and we watch, we watch the video at the end as we've gone through these videos, sometimes I think the author of the videos, he gets this idea like, you know, Joel pinned, the, he, he puts a lot on Joel, and Joel did pin the words, but they were inspired by God. And there's, so much, there's so much to it. And, but every, the Bible says that song we sang, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. That means these are important. And I hope and I don't know, but the whole goal of doing this series, and I think, what are we on, the 29th book now? I think, 30th book? I don't know. I didn't count that, that like that. But I hope that you're saving these and that you'll actually go through. Because like the book of Joel, you read through it, and you look at it, you'll be like, what in the world are they talking about? What's this locust and what's going on? And there's locusts mentioned a couple different times in the book. And locusts were mentioned as insects at one time. Another time they're mentioned as armies. And it's different. So I'm going to give you some of the tools you need so you can go back and take your notes and be like, oh, I could get something more from the book of Joel and study it for myself. That's the whole goal of this series, to get you more in-depth in the Word of God, to study the Word of God. So if you just take these notes and do nothing with them, it kind of defeats the purpose. This is to help you dive deeper. And the Bible talks about that, that we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. And we need the Word of God. So Joel... The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, ye old men, and give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell, it to your children, tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten. And that which the locust hath left, the canker worm eaten. And that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. Away, ye drunkards, and weep, and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. Now, you might, what in the world's going on? 
Where does wine come from? Grapes. The locusts and these different things devoured the grapes and there was no wine. It was a famine. See how that goes? You might read that and be like, oh, yeah, let's keep on going. And so verse number six, for a nation has come up upon my land strong and without number, whose teeth are as the teeth of a lion, and he hath cheek teeth of a great lion. He hath laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree. He hath made it clean bare and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests, the Lord's ministers, mourn. The field is wasted. The land mourneth. The corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up and oil languisheth. Be ashamed, O ye husbandmen. How, O ye vine dressers? For the wheat and for the barley, because of the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up and the fig tree languisheth. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree, and the apple tree. And all the trees of the field are withered because joy is withered away from the sons of men. And uh, gird yourselves and lament. Ye priests, we're going to read through chapter number one, and then I'll explain some things to you. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests. How, ye ministers, did you hit that button on that camera yet? Good man, good man, just making sure. I, gotta train, I barely got Johnny trained on now i got to train you, and see, we'll, see, we'll see if... Uh, Russ, welcome back to church. Do you know how long I've just waited for you to drop your Bible and hear that thump in this building again? It's been three months. Thank you. Thank you. You made my night. No, don't drop it again, but you made my night. It's been so, you know, you, it's so crazy. You get, before I get so distracted by things, I'll be like, oh, why is that going on? And then you're in front of a camera for 10, 11 weeks, and it's like, give me something. I need Russ dropping his Bible. He, and, you know, I was praying. I was praying. As his eyes are closed and he starts snoring. But anyways, we'll just leave that there. So thank you, Russ. That was good for me. I needed that tonight. And man, that's crazy that I actually enjoy that. That's good. But anyways, it's amazing how things, the things you appreciate, appreciate distractions. <laughs> Russ, I didn't say I appreciate enough for you to start talking. Dropping your Bible is one thing, but talking again, no, not yet, not yet. And uh, you didn't have a voice earlier, but that was pretty strong right there. So let's finish up this chapter. Thanks for messing me up, Russ. Verse 13, Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, how ye ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God, and cry unto the Lord. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as the destruction from the Almighty shall it come, is not the meat cut off before your eyes, yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed is rotten under the clods, the gardener, the, the gardener are laid desolate, the barns are broken down, for the corn is withered. How do the beasts groan? The herds of cattle are perplexed, because they have no pasture, yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. O Lord, to thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Let's go through the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, and then I will give you what all this means a little bit. Not too much, because I want to save some for you, and because there's a lot to it. The who is Joel. As we said, we know four words. He's the son of Pethuel. 
And that's about all that we know about him. Title for the book I've given is God Uses the Unknown. When was the book written? I've already talked about that. We really don't know. You could look, I've got several different commentaries, and there are certain commentaries I like, and others, Boyce has a good set on the Minor Prophets that I really like, and I use those a lot, and it's, it's so funny. And uh, my Bible study has grown so much from what it used to be, and you, in Bible college and different things, I didn't know about a lot of different commentaries and all these things. And so I've learned on the fly, and I've been able to have, you know, we have Joe Markin every once in a while, the evangelist. He's a book nerd. And so he tells me these different, and there's a lot of great commentaries out there that I had no clue about, especially on some of the minor prophets and things. And so, but you could look at Boyce, you could look at a few others, and uh, Phillips even talks about it, and they don't always agree because they just don't know. And so you say, who's right? Who knows? We can ask Joel in heaven if we can, we'll just ask Where's the son of Pethiel? And we'll be able to find Joel and be able to talk to him. And so some say that it was written early, so he could have been there around Elijah and Elisha. Some say that it was written after the exile, because you don't really, because what you see here, you see Judah mentioned about six times, all this different stuff. And so what is it? It's a book of poetry. It was written for the most part in poetic form. It's a poetic prophecy is what the book of Joel is. Where was it written? It was written in southern, the southern kingdom, Judah. And Judah is referenced six times in the third chapter of the book. Why, what was, why was, the, what was the purpose? Why? Why the book of Joel? Well, there's several things. The first thing is the judgment of the Lord. You look and the word of the Lord came, and the Lord's telling them, you know, tell, pass this down, you old men, you need to listen up. You need to pass this on to your children, your children's children, and the next generation. And it goes into the locust and the devastation. And in chapter number one, we see a great judgment come. There's a plague of insects. Locusts have destroyed the land. Now, if we think back, can you think of another time in the Bible when locusts kind of destroyed things and they came? Egypt, right? And the, one of the plagues. And we could go back and think about Egypt. And then as we look at this and as we think about it, this has three references. These locusts have different meanings to them. There's a reference to the past. There's a reference to the present. And there's a reference to the future when it comes to these locusts. So there's a lot there in just a little bit of time. The past reference has to do with the plague back in Egypt. The present was the actual plague that had come in to destroy, and we see that from verse 15 through verse number 20. In chapter 1, the army described is literally a locust army, and, in a, and you think about this, what it did was it bankrupt the people, because when their vineyards are destroyed, when all the, these locusts, when they would destroy those things, you didn't have the wine, you didn't have all, these, all the fruit and all this different stuff, the, the, the locust would ruin everything. Their economy would be deeply affected. And it's interesting that God messes when he, when he deals with his people in judgment, the economy he hits. You see that? But anyways, that's another thought for another time. But that's something that you do see that takes place. And when we think about their present there, um, you think about the destruction in them. It was maybe for them to take, you've got to understand with God, he wanted them to take things a little bit more serious. They had seen what God did to Egypt. Now God was doing it to them. What God was doing now was going to lead to something even greater coming and a greater judgment day coming into the future. 
And the future, when we look at it, look at chapter number 2. Look at verse number 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. The day of the Lord. Do you know what we're talking about when we talk about the day of the Lord? We're talking about when the Lord comes again. We're talking about His second coming. This is talking about chapter 2 here. It goes from talking about the present day and these locusts they are dealing with to these armies that are going to gather Mog and, um, why am I messing up on what I'm saying there? Gog and Magog, that's what I was trying to say. And these armies come together and the battle of Armageddon takes place. That's what it's talking about right here in chapter number 2. And, so, and when you think about that, Gog and Magog, they'll come from the north towards Israel, probably um, Gog and Magog have to do with Russia and those countries up that way. You're also going to have China and that area there coming the other way. And remember, the river's kind of dried up so they can get around, and everyone's going to encompass the city of Jerusalem. Amazing how all that's going to tie together. And so, but what we see here is it's talking about future things. This, in chapter number 2, it goes from the real locusts that were eating up all the crops to a locust army talking about armies of people coming towards Israel is what we see. And we see the fact that, look at verse number 11. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word, for the day of the Lord is great and terrible, and who can abide it? We see how God's talking about his army and that he wins the battle. That's the battle of Armageddon that takes place. That's what it's talking about in verse number 11. So this unknown prophet that we know four words about, we don't even know when he prophesied, to be honest with you. And he's talking about present-day things in Israel, and he's talking about the end of time. He's talking about the end. It's amazing what you find in a book about a guy we know nothing about. How could a guy we know nothing about write such good stuff? I wonder who was in on it. We look at verse number 12 and verse number 13 of chapter 2. Therefore, also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. We see how the Lord wanted his people to repent, get their heart right with him, to turn turn from, from their sin and turn back to God. That's what repenting is all about. We see repentance mentioned here. And what you see, do you see how the Bible says here, turn ye even to me with all your heart? Do you know God's concerned about the heart with his people? So often and sometimes we look at the outward appearance and we worry about all the externals. Do you realize God doesn't look at the externals he looks on the heart david probably wouldn't have been the guy chosen for the job if it was based on the externals david was chosen for the job because of his heart god is looking for peace god's concerned about your heart how's your heart tonight maybe tonight we need to do like israel and we need to repent and turn back to god good job russ another paper falling on the ground there you have all the space in between. You want us to put a table up over there for you or something? We can put a little table for you. And, uh, oh, Russ, I love you, kind of. And so i got to give you a little bit of a hard time. 
But isn't that, do you see, and one other thing that when I think and I look at the, how God tells his people to return to him, aren't you glad the Lord's merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy? Because isn't it, he does over and over and over, I'm glad I serve a God, I'm glad that my God is plenteous in mercy. And man, Israel, if this was at the end after exile, shame on them for having to be told to turn their hearts back again. If this was earlier, shame on them that they weren't following God. But may I just say as well, shame on us all the time and how we live. I'm just grateful I have a God who's plenteous in mercy. And praise God, his mercy is more. Not only do you see repentance, but you see hope. Look down at verse number 18 through verse number 20. Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. But I will, I will remove far from you the north army, the northern army, and will drive him into a land barren and desolate, with his face towards the east sea, and his hinder part towards the uttermost sea. And his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. And we see hope. Look at verse 23. Be glad then, ye children of Zion. Man, you read the first little bit, and you read about how the locusts are eating up all the crops, and then the day of the Lord's coming, and all these armies are going to come up against. Don't you love how even in the midst of judgment, God still brings hope? God is so, he's so amazing in what he does. The fact that he would be gracious to us and plenteous in mercy, that's wonderful too. But the fact that even when he's getting after his people, he always gives hope. And that's one thing our world never gives us is hope. It doesn't. And you watch the news long enough, and I, I watch some news, Fox News I'll watch probably more than the others. And Hannity's a guy that I'll watch, and you might like him, you might not like him. I love how he ends his show every night. Let not your heart be troubled. John 14, 1. A little bit of hope at the end. And a whole hour of no hope. And then you got five seconds of a little bit of hope. And you feel like, oh no, everything. And you watch enough. It doesn't matter if it's a good guy on the news. or It just, you watch, it's just like everything's going to end right now. And then two seconds of hope. Well, that's not how God is. God brings hope. And praise God for that in the midst of this passage of Scripture. And verse number 27 says, And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else my people shall never be ashamed. Isn't it good to know that he would be in the midst of them, even after all this? What a God. We see repentance, we see hope. We also see a promise from God. Look at verse number 28. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men, you're like, hold it. I've heard this passage before. I bet you didn't hear it in the book of Joel. Let's keep on reading and I'll tell you where else. And you probably already have figured out. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Man, 
you go and you look at that verse there and you read a couple different things. You look at verse number 32. Man, don't we claim a verse about salvation? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul was quoting Joel. That's what he was doing. This little unknown, son of Pethuel. The verse we look to for salvation, Romans chapter 9, or 10, sorry, Romans 10, verse 13. Written by Joel. Go with me, hold your place here, and go to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. Part of Joel's prophecy was fulfilled in Acts chapter number 2. You look at Acts 2, look down verse number 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judah and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to me. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Little book. No, nothing. The son of Pethuel, may I remind you. That's all we know about the guy. And the day of Pentecost, the power of Pentecost, was prophesied about by a guy we know nothing about. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids I'll pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I'll show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapors of smoke. You think about, what's this world going to do when the, Lord, when the rapture happens and things start and the tribulation sets off? They're freaking out today about every little thing. Imagine what it's going to be like on that day. Think about it. But what we see here is, and what we've got to understand, Joel's prophecy began to be fulfilled in the church age but it won't be complete till the end of time. Because that's talking about how his, would, his spirit would be poured out. That happened at Pentecost. But then it also says, it talks about water being turned into blood. It talks about those different things. That's all at the end. So only part of Joel's prophecy has even been, been fulfilled. The rest will be fulfilled before the end of time. And so it's a very interesting and amazing prophecy. And isn't it interesting, Joel, let's say he lived during... Let's say he lived during Elijah's time. So probably 800 years before Peter mentioned it. That's a long time. Let's say he lived after exile. About 500 years, 400 years. It's a long time. And very powerful. And then we look at chapter number 3. Chapter number 3 of Joel. Man, what a powerful little book, huh? And the thing is, a lot of us didn't know a lot of those things because, and it just happens. Small books sometimes get looked over. But a small book in the Bible is a big book, no matter if it's one page or 500 pages. Look at chapter number three, and we're going to be rounding the finish line here coming up. And look down, and chapter three looks forward to the day of the Lord. Looks forward to the end of the world, the battle of Armageddon before the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. Look at chapter three, verse number nine says, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. 
Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all the heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither um, cause cause the mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be awakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shine. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake But the Lord will be the hope of His people and the strength of the children of Israel. It's talking about the end there. And we get to the close of the book and we see the Lord tell, look down at verse number 19, Egypt shall be desolate and Edom shall be desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah because they shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall dwell forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed. For the Lord dwelleth in Zion. You see, the Lord basically tells them, you choose evil, you choose the way of Egypt, the way of Edom, you're going to get destroyed. Follow me, and you'll be blessed. We get to the end of your notes there, and this is where you're going to write down a couple things, and this is where we finally get to tonight. A few thoughts going back to Joel and a book about a really unknown guy to us. He's the son of who? Pethiel. Pethiel, okay. You still don't even know that. Let me just give you a couple thoughts about God uses the unknown. Number one is this. God God works in and through the unknown. That's how God works. Unknown people. You might feel, well, I, no one knows me. God can use you. Isn't that wonderful? God doesn't need the smartest person. He doesn't need the most handsome, most intelligent person. He just needs people. God uses the unknown. Stay faithful to God and do what God's called you to do. God will use you. Gideon wasn't well known, was he? fact he was kind of hiding and kind of scared if we're being honest but God used him David was left out in the field do you have any more sons oh oh yeah there's one that's out in the field I forgot about him God uses the unknown David not only does God work through people that are unknown he works through events that are unknown things that we don't understand God works in and through things that make no sense to us Did it make sense for God to put Jonah in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights? But it was sure good for Nineveh that God did that. Did it make sense that Joseph needed to go through all the trials and the tribulations in his life? No. But I'm sure his family is very thankful that he was in Egypt when they needed him there. God works in people that are unknown. He also works in unknown circumstances. And what you gotta tr- and you gotta understand something. Instead of always looking at the and sometimes situations stink. Okay, 
let's just be honest, situations stink in life. But instead of looking at it as just something that stinks, why don't you look at it as what is God trying to do? Where's God in this? Find God in your circumstances because he's there. It's one of the things I love the most about the Bible, and I love a lot about the Bible. One thing, I love how God had a plan from the very beginning, and man messed up God's plan. But they didn't really mess up God's plan because man could do whatever they want to do, and God's still going to work his plan. And God will use all these unknown circumstances and all these unknown people and all of this to work it all out, and it all works out. That's how God works. God works in through the unknown. And sometimes you don't have to figure everything out, okay? You're not always going to find an answer to everything. You're not always going to find out who the person is. I challenge you. You can go search for Joel. You're not going to find much out about the guy, okay? I've tried. And sometimes you just got to sit back and be like, okay. Why is this going on? Just God works. He's working in the midst of it. Sometimes you look and it's like, how could God be worked? But he does. He always does. Don't lose faith in him. Stay focused on him. Which leads me to the last point. God knows what we don't. Isn't that so wonderful? God, guess what? God knows tonight way more about Joel than we do. God also knows when Joel prophesied, and we don't. God knows all those things. And there are some things that we just won't know, and guess what? It's okay. Some things God never... This is the thing. Let me help you with something. So why doesn't God let us know more about Joel? Because God doesn't think we need to. It's pretty simple right there, isn't it? Don't you think an all-powerful, mighty God, if he wanted you to know something more about something, he would have told you? He's given us all he wants us to know in his word. Well, why doesn't he tell us more about aliens? Maybe aliens are real. Why doesn't he talk about that in the word? Maybe because he doesn't want you to worry about it. He knows, and there's some things he knows that we don't. It's okay. That's why we trust him. It's okay. We need to trust him. And some people say that when they get to heaven, they're going to ask God, well, you know, we sing that song, we'll understand it better by and by. And some say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God and get all the answers. Maybe you will, but maybe you just won't care once you get there. You don't have to know everything. There are a lot of people who want to know everything and all the details and all of this. But let me tell you something. You and I don't need to know all the details and know everything. This is what we need to do. We need to trust the one who does. You know, there are some things I don't quite understand in life. I still don't completely understand how an airplane flies. It's a heavy machine that goes, I could go that fa- I can't go that fast in my car, but I see race cars that go almost 200 miles an hour, and I don't see them taking off in the air. I know the wings have something to do with it and all this different stuff. I don't understand how it all works. But I'll probably never really understand it completely, and that's okay. How do boats stay afloat? I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever go on one. It's just little things like that I think about. Let me just let you know this. It's okay not to have all the answers. Some people want to have all the answers and they think that you don't need to know all the answers because Jesus knows all the answers. We don't. It's okay not to know all the answers because we serve a God who does 
Joel is a great reminder for us that God uses the unknown in our lives for our good and for his glory, and God doesn't tell us everything. Because I think if he told us everything, it'd probably just worry us at times and get us more scared. No, we can trust him. Because as the song we sang a little bit ago, he will hold me fast. Now, if you watch the video for the book of Joel, and then we'll get back and talk about the shuttle for a couple minutes.